All right, my friends, once again, this is our season finale. And as you can probably see by the title of the episode, uh, we've really, I think, gone above and beyond and gotten a really, really cool guest for all of you and really us. Like Lauren and I also benefit very much from having this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited and also really nervous. So thank you, fans, for uh, encouraging us to have this anxiety-inducing experience. Yeah, like I think w- even when we were, you know, starting to talk to folks from DreamWorks, Lauren and I kind of were like, oh, I don't know if the actors would want to talk to us. And it was really the encouragement of our listeners and friends that helped us make the ask in the first place. And you see how that turned out. So I guess what I would say is like, keep telling us what you want to hear on this show because it makes a difference and it, it helps us feel uh, feel fortified when we make ridiculous asks to our friends who then come through for us. Yeah, every time we go out onto the internet and say, what would you all like to hear? And the suggestions come in. At first, they always feel like we're dreaming too big and we're shooting too high. And then magic happens. And so thank you for uh, making us feel brave and strong, like She-Ra would. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power for one more week this season. My name is Eric. And I am Lauren. And we're not going to waste any time today. You've read the episode title. You know what's happening. You know who's on the line. And I don't want to belabor the introduction and make you all mad at us. How many more words can I fit here before I introduce Eric, our very... Eric, for heaven's sake. Oh, I guess I should stop. Okay. Um, we are very thrilled and honored to have the one and only Amy Carrero on the line. Hello, oh, Amy. stop it. Voice of Shira, we were talking about uh, before before the theme song hit that back when we started this show, we were like, "What is the biggest we could possibly go? We could never get voice actors. We'd we'd never have something like that happen." And so I'm just so tickled. I'm so thrilled. You underestimate the um, uh, just level of narcissism that voice actors have in literally wanting to hear themselves talk at all times. That's interesting because personally, it took me a long time to even want to listen to this podcast, to get used to hearing my own voice and to even want that. I'm totally the opposite. That's fascinating. No, it actually it's it's actually true because I don't know. And I, I think in everybody's head, you just... You sound sexier, a little deeper, and then you, I hear back my voice, and it's like, you know, it is what it is. I've just come to like, I've come to accept the fact that it's it sounds like a teenage girl, and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are playing one, I guess, so it yes. suits. Uh, we did, I think, want to start just by asking you in general about the career of voice acting. You are kind of going to speak for all voice actors for a hot second, I think. Oh yes, I'm gonna. I am the president of the Voice Actors <laughs> Association. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, in the simplest terms, like what what made you uh, decide that this was the path for you? I know you do screen acting as well and then kind of segue into voice acting. What what took you down this path? Yeah, just opportunity, to be honest. Um, I spent a long time trying to break into voiceover. So I moved here in 2009 and I didn't book my first voiceover job until 2000, I think, 14. So it was quite a bit of time before um, I made it in because it's famously a pretty selective small group of people. Um, so I, not for lack of trying, but it, it really took me that long just to <laughs> to, to penetrate the, the group. Um, so yeah, and then after that, once you're in, you're kind of in. And so yeah, it just sort of became this great way to 
uh, be creative and also play characters that I would normally not be cast in as a screen actor. Like I always say this about Adora and She-Ra in particular, like when else am I ever going to play like a nine foot tall blonde woman hero? You know, I'm like a short Latin girl. So I'm, it's, it's been a really creatively fulfilling a detour in my career. That's awesome. So yeah, speaking of this career, something that I find truly amazing, and we have to bring it up because it's it's the sister topic of our show. You also have a degree in international relations. I sure do. So how how does that fit into the Amy Carrero like voice acting star life? Well, you know, it's funny because my parents we don't in my family. I think there is one other person that makes a living as an entertainer, and that's my cousin, Jose, who's a ballroom dancer, a pretty famous one in New York City. But before him, no one ever made a dollar doing anything related to entertainment, doing anything creative. So when I told my parents that I wanted to pursue acting professionally, you know, they really kind of hammered home that they felt it was important for me to study something other than acting. Um, and I did have an, I've always had an interest in politics. I've always had an interest in the way countries relate to one another and, you know, all that. So it, it seemed like the most natural thing to study if I couldn't do a conservatory program. I also think that there was a part of me that thought, well, if I don't make it as an actor, I can always go to law school. <laughs> so I thought that would also put me in a really good spot. But what ended up happening was I sort of fell in love with the subject matter. And I still, you know, I, I, there's, there is a small part of me that really wishes I had had the wherewithal or the time to maybe ex- extend my study um, a little further. But, you know, there's always online college. I could always go back and get a graduate degree or something. But it is something that I still... It still really interests me, and I'm pretty active politically, and or at least my opinions are active politically. <laughs> right. I was going to say, but you know, reading your Twitter, you're very engaged with with current conversations, uh, and I'm sure all that knowledge is both a blessing and a curse, right? Because of the world that we live in, sometimes you wake up and you're like, "Why?" I know. Yeah. That well, does that does make sense. Why they sent you to us? So they're like, "Ugh, send Amy to those political <laughs> ranters." <laughs> She loves to talk shop. Well, it's funny because it's, I don't know how you guys feel, but it's never been taxing up until recently. You know, I've always found like political theory really interesting to talk about and debate. But when it's actually happening and it's actually a garbage fire, then it, it becomes a little less scientific and a little less like voyeuristic and it becomes something you're living in that can be really taxing. So I think we're all feeling that withdrawal or not withdrawal that, that sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exhaustion for me. Exhaustion, yeah. <laughs> Exertion of energy, constant energy and worry and anxiety. Well, I don't know if, uh, you know, anything prior about our show, but Eric asked me to do this podcast with him shortly after the election because mm-hmm. we wanted sort of a platform to do something with all of that otherwise rudderless energy. Yeah. And he, it was his belief, and he was correct, that the original Shira was actually really ahead of its time politically and really had a lot to say about yeah. modern issues. Um, were you at all a fan of original Shira before this? I missed the original by a few years. So my husband, who's in his mid to late 30s, I'll just say more mid than late, um, 
really knew and was around and aware of the, you know, He-Man, She-Ra, Masters of the Universe, universe. Uh, and I wasn't, I think when I kind of was alert and around, it was more so like the Nickelodeon model for animated shows. But once I came, you know, She-Ra came into my existence, I did... I watched as many as I could, as many as were available on YouTube or whatever. Um, but I, it's funny that you say that it was ahead of its time because I find that a lot of art is. People that are thinking in a creative way, that are thinking, the, like, what does this mean for our society? Um, where are we headed? Not just 10 years in the future, but 50 years in the future and so forth. They they tend to be really ahead of their time. You know, if you read, I don't know, any, like, great American playwright, they they probably could have predicted what was going to happen in 2016 way back when, you know, Tennessee Williams was writing streetcar named desire about like the, the death of the South and the death of like white. Um, I don't want to say the word supremacy because that has another connotation, but sort of like the death rattle of white supremacy, you know, he, he saw all of that coming. And I, and I think in the same way, not to compare our show to Tennessee Williams, but you know, I think artists have that a good art, good writing has that forward thinking. It almost has like a prophetic thing to it. Well, speaking of forward thinking, earlier in this conversation, you referred to yourself as a short Latin girl. And you've actually yeah. had the privilege of being uh, Elena of Avalor, the yes. first Latina Disney princess, I believe. Yeah, uh, right. So how does it feel with that princess, with She-Ra, to be that sort of much needed role model for young women? It feels really I'm great and awesome. And I, I want to say that there's a part of me that feels like a certain burden, but I, I kind of don't because I think that if you con concern yourself with what it means historically and what um, what it will do or what it will say, then if you concern yourself too much with that, then you won't do a good job and then it'll really kind of be in the toilet. Um, so I think as long as I do my job, which is to service the stories that are presented to me, uh, then everything will speak for itself. And I think that's certainly true of, of Elena and really true of Shira because Noel, our, our, you know, our commander in chief, has written this like beautiful story that I just wasn't expecting. I, I was expecting something a little more, I don't know, on the surface or mainstream or I, I don't know. But I, I, what, what's ended up happening is we have this like beautiful world that we're really proud to be a part of. And she's touched on pretty um, po interesting themes that are political in nature, but also pretty universal emotionally. And I don't know, I, I just couldn't be prouder of my involvement. I'm pleased to hear you say you don't allow it to feel like a burden because Adora herself, I think, chooses burden a lot. Oh, yeah, she <laughs> sure does. It's her favorite thing. Puts herself in front of a lot of bullets, denies agency to others. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, you know, that's her bag. That's the stuff that if she went to therapy, her therapist would be like, girl, we've got to work on We've asked if we've asked each other, like jokingly, if there's therapy in this universe, because oh, <laughs> there should be a lot of characters, lots of benefits. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because we Noelle and I talk about this, or I joke about it often. But if that were to happen, then we'd have no show, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because so much of it comes from 
what we say we want and what we do instead, you know, what we, you know, aim for and what we fall short of. And so I think if we didn't have, if, if, if Adora had all of her shit together, we, we probably wouldn't want, want to watch the show. It's the story of the making of a hero. You know, it's not, you're not finding her at the end of her journey. You're sort of finding her in the really messy beginning and middle of her journey into adulthood slash herohood slash, I don't know, uh, finding who she is. One of our frequent listeners, uh, Ryan, sent me a clip of uh, Lorraine Toussaint on Grace and Frankie oh, God, as yeah. a therapist. And he's like, look, Shadow Weaver's doing therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that is Listen, not the character I'd pick. <laughs> no. And Lorraine, anything she says sounds like the word of God. So if Shadow Weaver did have like a nugget of wisdom, even if it was just laced with a disdain and just bad intention, it would still probably serve a pretty good purpose. I don't know. Every now and then she has a point. <laughs> yes, she sure does. And I think, I don't know what I can say, but that continues later on. Yeah, no, don't, don't get us or yourself in trouble, please. No. <laughs> we no, don't no. want to lose this sweet relationship. I mean, it's a, it's a good teaser, you know. <laughs> yeah. she, is our, she is our favorite character. So even that oh, is like right. very yeah, she exciting. She continues to be shadowy and weavy and... <laughs> so hearing you speak of your other voice actors so highly is really cool. And something we've you know heard and, and read a lot about She-Ra is that you all record as much as possible in the same room, which is sometimes atypical for animation where it's just one person in a sound booth and everything gets cut and mixed together. So you really get a chance to play off each other. Can you speak a little bit about the, I guess just the feeling in the room and what being together does for the show? Oh man. I think it really is what makes all the difference for our show. I I don't know if it would have the same effect on other shows, um, but I think with, because Noelle's storytelling is really about, obviously it's about what happens in the universe and the action, but really it's about interpersonal relationships between all of these characters and how they relate to one another and how they affect each other. And so I don't know who thought of it. I don't know if it was who came up with the idea that maybe we should all record it together as much as possible, but I think it was such a gift because it's also nice to be able to look at people in the eye when they're, acting with you and I and obviously that goes to that goes without saying for screen acting but um for voiceover like you said it's not the typical uh, experience so to be able to look across the room and see AJ and I hear what she's doing with her voice but inevitably there's something else that she's doing with her face that might um might inform my performance and vice versa so it's just been I don't know man it's been great and I and I hope that I get to do more of that. And I hope that a lot of other voiceover projects start incorporating that into the fold because I think it makes a big difference. Well, and and something we talk about all the time in comparison to the classic show is, you know, it had maybe four or five actors and they were really given their all. And I I don't mean to slight their talents at all, but there's a marked difference. And I think one of the ways this show really comes alive is that the principal characters, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like you only play Adora and She-Ra, right? Like each of the yeah. prime characters only has, or e- rather each prime actor only has one character assigned to them. Yeah, that's right. Um, sometimes I think once or twice they'll kind of like have us do a little scratch. I don't know what the term is, the technical term, but it's like scratch or like walla or whatever, which is like random party guest. And so I'll get to put on like a fun accent or something. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah. And I think what's cool about, and I don't want to say old school because that seems reductive, but what's cool about like 
um, voice actors of your is that they have an arsenal of accents and voices and affectations and characters that they can do at a moment's notice, which is why I think the group is so tight knit because you don't really need to hire four people when you can hire one person. However, I think that, um, I don't know if it's like a new trend or what, but I think that now people are at least in animation scripted anime well obviously it's scripted but in in cartoons you know um serialized animated shows uh i think that they i don't know the studio maybe just wants to feel a different personality with every character yeah i could see that being a result of of things like uh um, Dream, not DreamWorks. Like, who does Shrek? What am I thinking? That That's is DreamWorks. DreamWorks. We met Shrek. What's the, what's the other one? What's the big studio that does like Wally and stuff? Pixar. Like Pix. Yeah, that uh, feels like maybe a result of of Pixar and DreamWorks and and Disney. You know, kind of doing the celebrity voice casting. Which yes. I remember reading interviews with like Billy West ten years ago, where maybe some of the let's say voice actors of yore, which is a great phrase, uh, <laughs> don't don't love that trend as much. But I, I totally see the the value in that because yeah, I think characters rich personalities really do come out the the go-to i always use is uh scorpion the original show you might have noticed didn't it's kind of hard to access her character because she's such a caricature whereas lauren ash is completely real well i think what's what noelle has done is that she's taken this story that already was so ahead of its time and really fleshed it out you know um there was no or very little time to develop the uh, relationship between Catra and Adora. If I'm remembering correctly, I haven't seen every single episode of the, of the first series, but from, from my knowledge, uh, what I've seen that isn't as explored, you know, the Scorpia character is not as explored. Um, the fact that like Adora hid Shira from her friends, they didn't know uh, that she was turning into this mega warrior um, these are all really interesting character choices that Noel has made, which I think make the story deeper. And, and I don't think it takes anything away. It's just like a wonderful addition to what's already there. Yeah, fully agree. You are dancing around the answer to this question. You may have answered it already, <laughs> but okay. uh, a couple listeners submitted some queries, and Carl wanted to know which of Adora's relationships most influenced your acting portrayal of Adora. Oh uh, well, I would absolutely say her mother figure, for better or worse, Shadow Weaver. Um, you know, I think without getting too deep into it. That that was like my point. My first point of reference was like, where does she come from? And obviously by now we know nobody knows, or at least, at least Adora doesn't know at the moment. Um, So that's a big mess, but who raised her, you know, and it was Shadow Weaver and like herself and these friends of hers. And so of course I'm, I'm figuring out, trying to figure out like what kind of person um, does that upbringing result in and then obviously her the biggest relationship of her life which is Katra so I would say those two relationships helped my idea of who she was coming in and then of course the best friends friend squad you Bo and Glimmer who bring out this like wonderfully soft side of her that she hasn't really hadn't really had any permission to tap into and I don't think she even knew existed so um she has all these facets of her personality that she's 
finding along with the audience. But I would say the fir- the first two are Shadow Weaver and absolutely Catra. That's like probably the number one. Yeah, so much about the transition from her sort of um, horde world into those relationships with Glimmer and Bo. Uh, there's just so much here about trauma recovery or yeah. even, even PTSD, if we would go that far. Um, through Adora, what are you hoping fans learn or discover about maybe mental health? Oh, man, a lot, a lot. But I think number one is I think it's important for people to see struggle. And so much of the time when we have a hero story, we we don't see the struggle. I mean, we maybe see like when he takes off his robe, this happens or whatever. But the, the struggle that comes from within, I think is important to not only showcase, but but really delve into. And I think that's kind of where we're headed in season four and um, or sorry, the, the season that's currently available. I don't know what they've broken up the seasons in in different chunks that I'm not familiar with. But um, what's available <laughs> now, we see her sort of heading into this really dark kind of place where she has no idea who she is. She has no idea where she comes from. Um, Pretty soon she will find it difficult to trust people in general. Um, And I think everybody goes through that. I mean, maybe she's going through it in the span of six episodes or whatever, but everybody has that experience. Everybody wonders, am I doing this right? Am I even on the right path? The people that I'm surrounding myself with, am I... A, are they uh, bringing me toward a better understanding of who I am? And B, am I bringing them toward a better understanding of who they are? Am I contributing anything to the world and these relationships and these friendships? And this is, I think, what concerns Adora the most um, in her downtime. I think this sort of eats her up. So if it's one thing that I would like people to kind of get or think about as far as mental health goes is that, you know, even like the person that you look up to that you think is a hero, it doesn't consider themselves a hero. They also struggle. They also wonder at every turn if they're doing the right thing. I think that's such a cool answer because, and again, I'm going to borrow your phrasing of, of uh, fans of your, uh, <laughs> when I was kind of engaging them when the show was first coming out, I remember one person complaining, which I thought was the strangest thing. Like, kids shouldn't see flawed heroes. They need heroes they can look up to. And I just thought that was such a bizarre point because I feel like if you can see the, the fault and the humanity in someone, you're, you're that much more likely to be influenced by them and to, to see in them a redemptive figure that you can like latch onto because yeah, I don't know what it's like to be perfect, but I sure know what it's like to, you know, turn away from my friends in a moment of, of sadness. Totally. Yeah. And, and make the wrong choice, you know, and make a, a bad, bold choice that you hope is good and isn't, you know, and learn from that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've heard that, too. I wonder if maybe they're just a product of their time. I, I don't know. But I think now people want to they don't necessarily want the aspirational thing in storytelling. Maybe they want it when they go on Instagram. They want to see aspirational images and, you know, people like on vacation in in Italy or whatever your version of that is. Um, There are places to get that. I don't think that when people pay a premium to watch stories being told, I don't think they want to be passive watchers. I I don't think that they necessarily um, want to watch someone who 
whose biggest struggle is that like, oh, um, you know, my magic gauntlet isn't working this episode. <laughs> it, it, that, you know? it, I mean, I think in the original, certainly He-Man and a little bit She-Ra, the heroes are more agents of the status quo, right? Like the right. bad guy does something and then they correct what the bad guy does. But yes. I, I think that it's a lot more interesting when the heroes really have something that they want. And boy, the kids on She-Ra, <laughs> in this She-Ra, they really want a lot of things. They do, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I prefer, listen, to each their own. I mean, I think there's everything for everybody. Um, but yeah, and I also love that about Noelle's writing because nowadays I think people under a certain age, they... I don't know. They're more aware. They're they're they have a little more agency than before. Maybe because they have more access to information and other uh, seeing how other people live. I don't know, but they they seem to want more. And God, I really hope they get it. I really do. You know. Well, I feel like it's also harder. I mean, I I don't know, but I'm guessing that it's harder to grow up now because of that access to information. You know, yeah. like you have just so many more inputs than I had when I was 15, 16, 17. And oh, yeah, I, I've yeah been... if I was bullied and then I went home at the end of the day, the bullying stopped. Yeah. Right. But I don't think it does anymore. No, it's, oh God, I think it probably gets worse when you're not in front of the people, you know, because of the internet and whatever. Anonymity, yeah. But I've, yeah. been, I've been really struck by every every young fan who's written to us. And granted, this is so anecdotal. But every young person who's taken the time to write to us, even for critical things, has been so thoughtful and kind. And, and just like, I wish I had that wherewithal when I was their age, you know. So I think, yeah. to quote The Who, I think the kids are all right. <laughs> the kids are all right. I mean, I love that. And I hear so much kind of like, uh, I, actually, I don't hear as much dismissive talk about like generation what are they z what i don't know yeah z yeah i don't hear that kind of talk about them i hear still hear it about my generation you know what i mean like yeah like oh millennials we're gonna be hearing about millennials until we're in the grave yeah in the grave yeah exactly but for whatever reason i i i think there's a collective sigh of relief that's that's i don't know everyone has breathed after especially after like the parkland thing and you see these kids that are I don't know, man. They just they just get it and they know how they feel. And even if they don't, they like they figure it out. You know, like I, I have that image of that of that student of that great girl um, at the March for Our Lives. And she went on stage and she literally barfed like on stage, <laughs> kept going. And I think that that's a really great. I don't know. It's a great sort of metaphor for what they're up against. It's like yeah. maybe they don't have all the answers. Maybe they don't have the perfect words. Maybe they're you know, they're living in like a traumatized generation, but they're still going to get up there and they're still going to talk and they're still going to go after what they want. So that gives me a lot of hope. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the episode, The Portal. This is the capper of what has become season three of She-Ra. There's kind of a, a meta arc in season two and three for Adora of, of dealing with, uh, she has this like crisis of responsibility of like kind yes. of discovering her quote destiny and rebelling against it and then kind of accepting it at the end. I think that's what we see in this episode that she's ready to give it all and then Angela swoops in and, and takes the bullet so to speak 
Yeah. Uh, God, that's yes. Uh huh. But I guess I'm curious. Do do you feel like you can empathize at all with Adora's journey? Because there's a lot of emotionality in there. I know, obviously, you're a great actress, so you're putting, you're acting, but also there must, you know, I feel like there's something there. Well, any any good writing has a universal origin, you know, and. I don't know what it's like to be a hero with a sword and have to save my universe, but I, I do know what it's like to really question, like, why am I doing this? Why am I on this path? Did I choose this path? Was it chosen for me? Am I even doing a good job? What are my options? You know, it's bringing me uh, more turmoil and bad feeling than it is good feeling and I don't feel like I'm being as effective as I want to be so here I am doing a job that maybe I'm awful at and can I just go get a cheeseburger instead and the answer for her is no like you can't walk away from this you don't have another option but your choice is how to move forward knowing that you are not as effective as you want to be. You are not as perfect as you'd like to be. Um, and the responsibility you feel is very real. And it's kind of the, the, what you, the lot that you have been given. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a personal aspect to, to that feeling of like, not just imposter syndrome, but also like, what? Like you just, I don't know. Sometimes you have these moments of clarity in your life when, when things aren't going the way you want them to. And you just, start questioning literally everything. And I think that's kind of where we find her in this part of her story. And that's a through line. I mean, this is not the first time or the last time she will have these kinds of questions and these crises of identity um, and faith in herself. But I don't know. Does that answer your question? I mean, Absolutely. It's so relatable to specifically this episode as well, because this is the episode where we see the perfect world. Uh, yeah. The lever has been pulled, the portal has been open, and we get to see the king and the queen together. And we get yeah. to see Bo tragically without his midriff, you know, but we see, <laughs> we, we get to explore the idea of what if things had gone differently? What if Katra had maybe gotten closer to what she wanted? What if all of these different choices hadn't been made? And I think the lesson is you can't have it perfect anyway. You shouldn't, you shouldn't aspire to that. No. And, and what you think may, may have been the better choice in retrospect maybe wouldn't have been the best choice. Maybe, maybe there is no best choice. Maybe there is just a good choice, a better choice, and maybe like a not so great choice. Like, you know what I mean? Um, maybe it's more nuanced than that. So, yeah, yeah. You're living out the choice that was made, you know? How much right. time do you want to spend reflecting on what could have been or what you wish was different? Because, right. you know, Mara made a choice, and they all are dealing with it <laughs> and right, they right. can't, they can't change those given circumstances. Yeah. And I think Adora is suffering the, um, the consequences of the choice that she had no part in making. And she also knows, I don't know if this is true. You'd have to ask Noel, but I, I would imagine that she, at this point in the story is thinking, well, maybe I won't be Shira forever. So is the next person that comes along going to have to deal with my, bad choices or whatever, you know what I mean? Are they going to have to clean up after my mess? Um, I don't know. I think she's feeling all of that stuff. It's just 
wonderfully, wonderfully complicated. I become very proud of Adora in this episode because to some of those points, even though Catra was absolutely the one who pulls the lever and nobody else even wants to, I don't even think Hordak wanted to anymore. Yeah. Uh, Catra blames Adora and she says, you broke the world. It's your fault. And Adora is finally able, at least in that context, to say, I didn't do your actions for you. This one isn't on me. And I was so happy to finally see that character in an otherwise extremely tragic episode say, oh God, yeah. I'm not going to take the burden of your responsibility onto myself. I have done that enough. Yeah, I wrote down the exact line because it's so fucking cool. Uh, I didn't break the world, but I am going to fix it. And you, you made your choice. So yeah. badass. It is so badass. And it's, 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 it's the one thing that you really just want her to say to Katra, like all of the, all of these seasons, really like the thing that's always at the tip of my tongue is like, you know, I am not responsible for all of your bad choices. You know what I mean? Like I can take responsibility for some things, but your feelings of abandonment, your feelings of losing a friend, your feelings of whatever it is that she's going through. And like, Oh my gosh, if you get the chance to talk to AJ, she is like a master at playing this character um, of Catra. And she has so many great things to work with, but I think that's really like the relationship can be very codependent, can be very, very toxic. And this is like the first step I think Adora takes. I mean, she's taken other steps like leaving the horde, but the first like step toward emotional independence, like freeing herself of that, of that shame and that guilt and that really toxic um, entanglement with feeling responsible for Katra's emotions. She's like, she, she, I think she's realizing like, I'm not the warden of your, emotions or your actions. I agree with that. And I think, unfortunately, so there's so much yearning in this show and especially in this episode. Angela is my favorite character of the the, the reboot, the new version of the show. And yes. we, we see Angela, at least, at least for now, maybe forever, maybe not, go out. And yeah. I was just watching it again before we started talking to you. And it really struck me that Angela takes Adora by the shoulders and like says, you inspired me. Oh, and then been- and then flies to probably her death. And so yep. as if Adora didn't already feel enough survivor's guilt and enough responsibility oh. to have the yeah. queen be like, thank you for inspiring me to kill myself. I mean, basically, <laughs> for heaven's sake. Poor and like Dora. also, if this was like an episode of like Grey's Anatomy or something, then we would have flashed back to like when they first met and how much she didn't want Adora to be a part of her like <laughs> life. Um, you know, and now she's whatever she's doing, she's done. Um, yeah, I think it's really tough. I think that people put Adora in really difficult positions, but you know, she's, everybody feels that way. And she is the center of our story. She's not the only character, but we're seeing it through her perspective. So of course, everything feels like it's being done to her. I think, um, you know, she's just kind of like uh, collateral damage until she isn't. But that doesn't, that is not where she is at at the moment. You know what I mean? I mean, she she takes control, but, you know, there's regressions made. Like, she may have this great moment with Catra, but who knows how long that'll last? You know, it's it's complicated. People make, people have breakthroughs and then go back on what they say, you know, all the time. 
I think it's so important in Adora's journey that people, Angela does it in this episode, but also Bo and Glimmer, um, they remind her that they have agency. Yeah. And uh, the line that I wrote down that Adora says is, you're at risk as long as we're together. And she, for a moment, once again, tries to protect Glimmer and Bo and leave them behind. And they assure her that we're going to stay with you. Right. And it's just such an important thing for Adora to hear. That, like, you know, thank you for your opinion. Thank you yeah. for your input. But we're adults, too, or close yeah. to it. And we're choosing this. We're choosing to be with you. Yes. Um, and it shows the difference between, I think, healthy relationships and maybe unhealthy relationships. Because you, com- you compare that moment with a terrifying, shattered Catra just throwing yeah. Adora against furniture. And you're like, ugh. Please, right. please stick with your positive friendships and your good relationships. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And I think also when you're in a position of leadership, for better or worse, it's very hard to turn off that button. And so you really feel like you're responsible for people at all times. And she has the added thing of the fact that she does have a superior power and strength because she can turn into this superhero. Um even though she doesn't feel like one when she's herself. But I think with it's really good for leaders to hear, you know what? You can be in control of some things, but you aren't in control of my choices. And my choice is to stay here with you, which is true friendship. Otherwise, you're just sort of bullying people into doing what you want. And so what, what someone in a leadership position wants so much of the time, what they crave, what they yearn for, to use your word, is a boundary. And they, and they give her that. That's perfect. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Or especially, are there any other projects you want to let our listeners uh, know about? Well, I I think a lot of them have probably watched everything that's available by now. But I guess just to tease that there is a lot more to come. Obviously, there's that cliffhanger. You don't know what happens to Angela. But um, there is a lot more to come, a lot more complication and things that maybe you don't expect will happen happen you know what i mean when you start thinking relationships are solid i don't know something Ooh. else kind of happens so i would just stick around i'd come back for more that's such a tasty tease i hope we can include it <laughs> me too uh this was so wonderful we, we so appreciate your time amy you were such a wonderful person to talk to so thoughtful and kind thank you so much for having me i love the work that you're doing oh. and i will be sure to listen because it's really great when you go in to work and you do what's on the page and somebody is so affected by it that they put a lot of intelligent thought and feeling toward breaking it down for others and, and finding meaning in it. So I'm very thankful. Well, Amy Carrero, you have just made our month, oh. our year. As Entrapta said in this episode, it was nice being friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressive of power.